Parenting Today is a podcast produced by Reformed Youth Ministries. Whether you feel competent or confused in parenting, this podcast seeks to apply God's truth to the culture of today. For more information on this ministry, visit rym.org. Hey everyone, welcome back to Parenting Today, brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. Uh, We have been talking to Julie Lowe uh, this week. Uh, for those of you who turned in, tuned in Tuesday, uh, you know that we are talking about her book, Childproof, uh, Parenting by Faith, Not Formula. Uh, you can pick that up at New Growth Press or Amazon. Uh, and those who, who listen to RYM's other uh, podcast, uh, The Local Youth Worker, uh, you will know that we spoke to Julie on episodes 141 through 145. I'd encourage you to go check those out. And also, uh, Julie Lowe will be with us at RYM's Youth Leader Training in Nashville. That is January 28th through February 1st. You can go to rym.org training uh, to check that out. Um, Julie, on Tuesday, we explained that the that your book, Childproof, is broken into two sections. Um, and today we're, we're primarily going to be discussing that as you kind of you lay some foundational thoughts about this, you know, parenting by faith, not formula. Uh, but then specifically in the, this, the second section, uh, parenting by faith applied, you get into some specific issues, you know, parenting an anxious child, parenting a child with disabilities, uh, you know, a section on when your child says, I'm bored. Uh, so again, so much of just applying what you laid out in the first uh, part of um, the book. And, and one, one of the, the chapters you deal with is uh, parenting a difficult child. Um, and um, anyway, I, I was wondering if you could just talk to us a little bit about um, that section, uh, because you do on, I think it's page 113, um, uh, you make this statement um, about, you know, it seems that the right formula is love plus discipline plus godly instruction equals good kids. You know, and because at times, you know, you say this formula does seem to work, you determine that the problem must be in your parenting. But you say, you know, this is faulty and unbiblical approach. Um, and so just kind of talk to us a little bit about that statement, but then getting into parenting the difficult child. Yeah, um, there's a lot that could be said about that. I think I say in the chapter two, you know, good kids come out of bad homes and bad kids come out of good homes all the time. And we, again, we look for a formula and there are times our parenting is part of the problem. So I don't want to minimize that, but uh, kids are moral responders. At the end of the day, they're going to choose who they who they serve. And um you know, we've had to parent difficult children. Um, we've also had foster children in our home. And um, you can do everything right and a child still walk away from the Lord or walk away from you and rebellion, make bad decisions. Why? Because they have an active heart that is struggling with the world around them, um, with temptation and peer pressure and their own, you know, desires and lusts. And, um, understanding that I will struggle enough to do my role as a parent by loving them and parenting them and speaking into their struggles and helping reflect their own heart and pointing them to the Lord. But I can't determine the outcome and I can't take responsibility for the outcome. That's between them and the Lord. 
And that's both scary and freeing. The freeing part is all I can do is focus on me as the parent, and that'll be enough hard work, and I'll, I'll make mistakes there. But I have to let go of the outcome, and it doesn't mean I don't continue to desire good for my kids, but I realize I have very little control over the outcome. And so my prayer then becomes, Lord, help me be wise to know how to respond to every situation that comes up, to know how to help them see themselves well, and to know their own hearts and point them to the gospel in everything I do. Um, and that, no matter what stage you're in from young to old, that's, that's what you have to do. And as your kids get older and you see the influences and you see their own decision making, you start to realize how really ill-equipped we are to, to do anything but parent them well in the midst of that. Mm. That's, that's good. Um, I, uh, I, I really enjoyed the difficult child chapter. Um, it, um, jokingly, uh, my wife says all the time that uh, that mental illness is hereditary, uh, that you get it from your children. <laughs> and, uh, and I think sometimes parents can feel like that. Not all joking aside, um, you know, anxiety and depression are two uh, mental illnesses that I feel like, I guess, in my lifetime have exploded. And I don't know, I'm sure sociologists can tell us more about how social media and the internet have contributed or not contributed to that in whatever way, mm -hmm. um, or revealed what was already there. But you do uh, talk about um, the anxious child. Um, about uh, I'd just like to hear uh, some of your thoughts about parenting anxious children. But I also just like to hear what you think are some of the contributing factors that, um, that exacerbate uh, a child's anxiety. Yeah, the anxiety is at epidemic proportions for sure. I Just from a counseling standpoint, the amount of people we are seeing who struggle with anxiety from young to old has grown. And what are some of the contributing factors? Well, research out there is demonstrating how media uh, definitely contributes to it. And as far as with kids, social media and media alike because every possible world issue and tragedy is out there. Um, you know, just think back to 9-11, and there's some uh, just secular research out there that demonstrates after 9-11 how much anxiety increased. But you think how after the first couple of hours of 9-11, how many times uh, that picture was replayed on the news mm -hmm. of the airplanes going into the towers. And that's probably forever ingrained in my mind. Um, now you add to that things like ISIS and tsunamis and world, you know, world disasters that occur every day. And there are things children are being exposed to on the media that they would never have known about till they got older. Um, so you do have kids who temperamentally tend to be more anxious. You have kids who learn to be anxious because of parenting approaches or, or things that are going on in the home. Um, and then you have things like that go on around them that just open their eyes to all the potential fears and dangers that they never would have fathomed um, early on in their life. So I think there could be tons of different contributing factors. So for some parents, it's, they just tend to have dispositionally, temperamentally, a, a child who tends to be more fearful and anxious. And how do you how do you parent them, nurture them in that struggle? And then you have kids where they've gone through something traumatic and um, they've experienced the brokenness of the world, the fallen, broken world in a very real, powerful way. And you're helping them to to work through that as well. So I would say those are some of the factors. Mm. 
Yeah, and I, I like just to kind of go along with that. You said, you know, the more we understand the cause of their anxiety, the greater success we'll have in shepherding them through it. And the yeah. wiser and more practical we'll be in speaking well into their experiences, which is, you know, what you were just talking about. But I agree, that's, you know, very helpful uh, section. And, and I definitely, I don't want to beat a dead horse, uh, but uh, you, you were just bringing up technology. And I know we brought it up on, on Tuesday and you've got a whole section dealing with uh, technology. And as I've already referenced, you came on the local youth worker in episodes 141 to 145. And really, we kind of centered our discussion on just how technology is um, impacting uh, our, our youth uh, today. And, and really, you know, even though I said beating a dead horse, I mean, this is such a huge issue that is having so mm-hmm. many um, just implications for uh, just sin issues, uh, just all sorts of uh, struggles and so can can you talk just a little bit more about technology? I mean, referencing your chapter, but just again, what you're what you're seeing in counseling. Yeah, I I am deeply concerned that um, technology is just winning the hearts of our kids. Not technology, but where technology leads them, which is back to their peer group, back to um, creating ideals about their own life and how many likes they get. And it, you know, it shapes their identity. Um, I think I might've said this before, but probably one of the things I'm not hearing a lot of people talk about is how uh, social media actually is pushing adult interaction and parental uh, interaction out of their lives more and more. So it used to be that kids would come home and again, parents would have them in the evening. There was some level of engagement, even if they're running outside to play. But now kids, they're going from being with their peers all day to coming home and jumping online and being with their peers all evening till staying up till two in the morning to play Fortnite or whatever the new thing is out there till 2 a.m. And slowly, um, it's peers raising peers, it's peers interacting with peer culture all the time. And any adult uh, interaction is being pushed out of their lives more and more. And that, I think, has an unknowing impact on the relevance of parents, the relevance of adult interaction at all. So that would be one of the things I'd say are, are even a greater concern that we don't even know what our kids are being exposed to. We don't know how peers are shaping peers. And, you know, there are all those dangers out there that I don't need to keep repeating about cyberbullying and sexting and kids who are online will be exposed to nudity or things that um, whether they're pursuing it or not, it's pursuing them. Um and so then you have the danger of lack of adult interaction and also lack of adults knowing what their kids are being exposed to so that they can help them reinterpret it and make sense out of it accurately. So it creates this cycle of our kids having a whole nother world and a whole nother life that we're not engaged with. Wow. Uh, well, we, we could probably talk about that for several, um, several episodes. Uh, there's just, uh, there's so much to talk about there. I, I want to cheat a second and um, and jump back to a previous section in the book um, because I just one one thing that um, that you said that I thought was so interesting is you were talking about really you were talking about when children say um, that it's not fair um, mm. or we talk about equality but you know first of all 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 cards on the table I grew up as an only child so basically and. Uh, uh, not to get 
I, I just didn't grow up with a sibling in the house. Um, but my wife did. And I find it fascinating um, when she talks about how um, talk, talks about how parents have everything has to be equal. And, and you go to great length to talk about how children have, you know, your children are different people and they have different needs. And what is what is good for one might not be good for the other. And what's bad for one might, might not be bad for the other. So could you but I think a lot of parents feel a pressure that if they do this for one, then they have to do this for other for the other or that if they educate one one way. They have to educate one the other way. And I, I just would like for you to expound just a little bit on like the idea of equality what's good about that and also what is kind of a lie that we can believe about that that might hurt us yeah I think we always want to be aware that we're we're not showing favoritism in our parenting or um, that we're not being perceived as showing favoritism which that's really hard to navigate because kids will always have their perception especially older kids always get to do more so the younger kids feel like they're the favorite and then the older kids feel like the younger ones are the favorite and they get away with murder and so you have the typical uh, mm-hmm. ways kids tend to perceive things and we don't want to buy into it but I do want to I know how they feel and help talk it through with them and I, if they perceive favoritism I always want to know that However, that's slightly different. It's probably what they throw at us when they're saying, but that's not fair. You like them better. No, I don't like them better. But here's the reason. And I'm willing to think. Um, I was saying in our home where we say we don't do what's fair. We do what's right and good for each of you. Um, so if you mean yeah. fair means you all get to go to bed at the same time, you're right. Don't do what's fair. We do what you each need and you need more sleep. And you, um, you demonstrate you can get up at six in the morning and get ready to school on your own. So we're going to let you do that. Same with technology. When one child gets a cell phone doesn't mean another child gets a cell phone. Why? Because it goes by maturity and responsibility. If you demonstrate you're mature and responsible and there's a need for it, then we're willing to let you steward that and learn how to steward it. If you can't show maturity or a good responsibility, then you don't get as much freedom. Um, why? Because it's our job to keep you safe. It's our job to teach you those things. And um, again, I'm picking on poor technology, and I'm sorry to do that. Cell phones are the great example where if everybody else in the world has one at 12, does that mean my 12-year-old gets one at 12? Mm. No, that's crazy. I wouldn't give my 12-year-old keys to the car. Why would I give them a cell phone that opens a world of both good and bad to them? without knowing that they have the maturity and the responsibility to navigate it well. Um, so that's true with um, how much freedom they have, with when they get a job, with what kind of chores they can or can't handle, that every child is different. So I don't ever want to show favoritism, um, but I won't be fair, for sure, because what they need is to do what's right and good by each one. That's mm-hmm. helpful, and that's something I know every parent uh, struggles with uh, for sure just trying to keep things equal trying to be balanced and um yeah it's it's uh, a challenge for sure so yeah thank you for yeah let me add one more point to that yeah the other thing i would say and i hope my children would say this if they were here too is we are fairly good about saying if you disagree with me I, i would like to hear why so if we come up with a rule or we say no you're not ready for this if they can respectfully disagree and they want to come, they want to talk about it more, we actually want to encourage that. Because again, 
I care about their heart. I care about how they're thinking. And I care that they care how I'm thinking. And so I've got to respect them disagreeing with me um, in order to have them respect me disagreeing with them. And so I will often say to my kids, listen, if you guys don't think I'm being fair or you think something doesn't feel just, I want you to come tell us. We're willing to talk to you about it, but it has to be in a respectful, mature way. So it's not a shutting down. I'm coming down heavy handed. Uh, It is always a work in progress and a conversation we want to have with them. Yeah, I think you're illustrating just something so important there is oftentimes, you know, children, just want to be heard. Um, and yeah. you know, parents can be very guilty of just shutting them down and, um, you know, tuning them out. And, and of course, th- there are times as parents where we need to assert our authority and remind our children that we're in charge. Um, but, but I have found just with my own children, just to pause and listen um, can, can really just calm the entire situation. Uh, yeah. Again, they yep. just, they're trying to explain. And sometimes it's they're younger and they're trying to get their words together and, and all of that. And I just need to mm-hmm. listen. But I think you're, yeah, illustrating something very important there. And like you said, uh, as long as they've got a respectful tone, um, that it's it's helpful uh, for them to be able to voice that and to feel, feel heard. Um, yeah. a, another helpful section uh, you have is, uh, you know, talking about children not being thankful. Um, and, you, and you get into a specific section that reminded me, I was, we actually have Derek Thomas on uh, the local youth worker podcast. And one of the questions I asked him was, you know, what, what, is, what are some of the differences, both, you know, negative and positive of seminary students today? Uh, compared to seminary students, you know, years ago, since he's been a professor at uh, Reformed Theological Seminary for quite some time. And one of the issues he brought up was entitlement. Um, That, that, uh, you know, again, he says, by and large, he's he's very encouraged by the students at RTS um, these days. But kind of talking about some of those negatives is... Um, entitlement was one of those that, that came up. And I know that's something that that you deal with in, in your book. And so can you talk to us a little bit about just the, the thankless child and the entitled child? Yeah. So again, temperamentally, we can see some of our kids struggle to be more grateful or thankful. I, I do think it's a developed trait too. Um, uh, but I think entitlement is something culturally I'm worried about too, that we tend to have generations of very entitled people that um, I think I say in the book, it's the belief that we're deserving of certain privileges or entitled to them. Um, and just really helping to, it, it's a me focused or an outward focused, uh, which is another way of saying it. And uh, I might stumble around here communicating it well, but how do I get my kids to think outside of, of their world and look at the world around them and to have an outlook that puts things in perspective. And we'll joke, you know, our, our dishwasher broke down one time and that feels like a necessity in our home with eight people. And we, we joked and we're like, that's a first world problem. So we're frustrating. We're grumbling about it. And then my husband said, yeah, but this is a first world problem. I'm like, wow, well that puts some things, things in perspective. Right. Um, and so giving our kids this at this perspective that says, you know, the things we tend to be unthankful for are first world problems. They're the, the way in which we are so blessed and so entitled and uh, so materialistic, which is not what I want to hammer into my kids. That look how entitled you are. But it is a sense of understanding 
there is so much to be thankful for. So I can complain the dishwasher is broken. I can look at it and go, yeah, it's a hassle, but it's a first of all problem. And wow, we're lucky to live the way we do. And to have a bigger perspective of gratitude for what we do have, that doesn't minimize the difficulties of life, but it's a reorientation, right? A reorientation of, of what's really important and matters. And so instilling gratitude and getting them to think in that way is really valuable. Man, um, thank you for that answer. I, uh, I have a question about just writing a book in general, um, and not just about parenting, but um, so you spend all this effort um, writing this book and getting it published and doing all that. And now it's out there in the world and people are reading it. And uh, if you could wave a magic wand and add anything to the book, is there anything, um, is there anything to childproof? that you would say, oh man, well, there's something that's come up since I've, since I published this book about, man, I would love to like add a chapter on this or add a chapter on that. Is there anything like that? Yeah. And I think probably every week I think of something else I would add because <laughs> there's so many good topics to cover. Mm -hmm. And again, because I was striving so much to not be formulaic, um, it probably did cause me to not reflect too much on too many topics, but I, I actually read a review recently of the book that was really um, encouraging. But one of one of the things they brought up that I totally agreed with was this issue of what do you do when parents disagree with their parenting? And that is mm. such that's such a really important point to say. Um, what would I do if my husband and I just have very different parenting opinions and we want to parent our children differently, which which happens all the time. Um and good parents put aside their parenting preferences and look at the need of the child. And the hope is we come together and agree, yeah, here's what they need. So it's not what I want and what you want to do. It's really what they need. That's the priority and what, what biblical wisdom looks like in that situation. But what do you do when two parents have very different opinions on that? Uh, that would definitely be something I think I'd talk about if I had a chance to do it again. Well, um, if I could follow up really quickly. Um, what? Uh, when, when parents do disagree, uh, about, about what to do, uh, lots of times those disagreements aren't cut and dry. It'd be easy to come up with an example where it's like the dad is a legalist and the mom is, you know, like an antinomian, just anything goes. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, like yeah. typically it's, it's typically, it's not like that. Typically it's, there's a little bit of truth on both sides of the mm -hmm. issue. Um, how do you... Uh, Talk, talk just for, I know that we don't have a ton of time for every question, but talk a little bit about how you try to find that, build that consensus between people who seem to be coming at a problem from opposite angles. Mm -hmm. And that is, from a counseling standpoint, that is what I tend to see, that parents, um, they bring in kind of their own perspective, their own preferences, and and genuinely, they're reading a, a parenting situation differently. So they see a, a child with a challenging behavior, or we'll pick on anxiety for a minute. They see their, their child struggling with anxiety, and one parent feels like you just need to push them and make them do the hard stuff. The other parent feels like, no, we need to nurture them and not force them to do it. And mm -hmm. there can be a little truth on both sides, which is why I think if you go back to say, how, do, how can both parents say what's really going on with this child? There's going to be some disagreement. There's going to be some figuring out. But you kind of put aside your instincts for a moment and say, let's understand what's going on here. And if the child's really anxious about getting on the school bus, 
is the answer to never make them get on the school bus, is the answer to encourage them to find the, the boldness, the courage um, to get on the bus. Um, are there times we don't make them get on the bus? And that's a great question. That's where why I think people resort back to formulas. Because if you just give me the formula to do it, I'll know in every situation what to do. When parenting struggles are about, there are moments that loving my child means, you know what, I'll drive you to school today. And and there's a reason to do it. But you know what, honey, tomorrow you have to get on the bus and we've got to work on this. So I'm showing grace and tenderness, but also saying, you've got to start doing the hard stuff. Um, and so helping parents come together and say, maybe you're both right to some degree. And what if you're willing to try it this way and then try it the next way? And a humility in both parents is probably essential because you're both willing to come at it saying, okay, well, if I am wrong, let's give it a try. Let's see how this goes. Um, so again, it's hard because every situation is going to be different, right? But mm-hmm. I think if both parents are willing to, to be humble and say, we really do care about what this child needs. We don't want to give them crutches. We do want to equip them to stand on their own and, and to trust the Lord in the hard places of life then they tend to come together in those moments and it takes some navigating. Hmm. Yeah, Julie, uh, something uh, my pastor said one time, and I don't know if he was quoting somebody else, but he said, you know, if, if parenting doesn't humble you, nothing will. <laughs> and yeah. uh, such a true statement, um, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes, you know, parents are very discouraged in their parenting. And I know you have a section uh, in your book of just kind of kind of words for the discouraged parent. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily want you to, to quote that, but just what are some words that you would have for encouragement for those parents who are, you know, listening to this podcast and are just uh, very discouraged and maybe at a low point in their parenting? What's some some words you would give them? Not to be weary and good. Um, I love that verse in Galatians and probably because I've had to rely on that as well. And, you know, it's pretty hard when you uh, are a counselor and you're writing books on parenting and then you're seeing your own parenting flaws or your children struggling. And and I said over and over again to my husband, in our some of our most difficult parenting moments, I'm more quickly coming back around saying, you know what, Lord, thank you that we're struggling too, because it's going to make me a more humble counselor. It's going to make me practice what I'm preaching. And it really is going to demonstrate that it's the work of the Spirit in, in people's lives. And so I'd say to the discouraged parent, you're not alone. Um, we've all had our moments of discouragement. You may be going through a real difficult season, and the Lord is at work in you and your heart, and the Lord is and going to be at work in you and your child's heart. And so don't be weary in doing good. Whether you already have teenagers or whether you have toddlers right now, it is never too late to pursue your kids and to love them well, no matter what age or no matter what struggle you're going through. Yeah, very good words of encouragement there because I, I do think that is, yeah, important. I mean, one, just to to know we're not alone, uh, to know that yeah. um, we are not the only ones that are struggling. And, and really, I mean, just that emphasizes, I think, the importance of the local church and community and, you know, opening up to others in the church about our struggles. And, you know, d- depending on the, the different ages and just seasons of parenting, uh, for those younger parents to look up to some older parents uh, who have been there before and, you know, seek mm-hmm. out mentors to help in the midst of that. I think is is vitally important, but yeah, just being reminded that we're we're not alone. 
Yeah. Kurt, did you have anything else? No, I didn't. I just wanted to, first of all, tell Julie, um, Julie, thank you for being with us. Um, we, thank you. Th- this has been great. And uh, I've really enjoyed, I really enjoyed your book and got a lot out of it. And I got even more out of um, getting to listen to you kind of expound uh, on some of the things that I read in there. Um, would you, would you like to add anything else or say anything else before I close this? Uh, no, thank you for the opportunity to be on. And, and I really do hope it, it encourages parents. I mean, parenting is one of the most difficult things. And, and actually, even what I'm writing in the book is challenging because a formula makes life easy. Um, the, the liberty to parent wisely is freeing, but it also comes with a lot of hard work and responsibility. Mm-hmm. So it is, it is a challenging task we all have. Well, I thank you for your ministry and thank you for writing this book and thank you for joining us. If you've been listening to this podcast and you'd like to hear more from Julie, and if you're especially if you're a youth worker, I uh, just remind you uh, that she's going to be at uh, RYM Youth Leader Training in Nashville, uh, January 28th through February 1st of 2019. Um, and you can get some, um, some face-to-face interaction uh, with Julie and talk about uh, any of the things that we've talked about here. Um, with that said, um, this is going to draw our time to a close. Again, thank you to Julie Lowe for, uh, for being with us. Uh, and uh, John, thank you for joining us as well. And uh, we'll see you, yeah, we'll see you uh, next week on Parenting Today.